Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And that was much easier to throw down, but I, I made a couple of a cameraman, uh, cameramen very angry because I was throwing it over and they were trying to like dodge my shoe and then they would tell me where to throw it. So I'd throw it there, but then they'd move there. And I'm like, oh no. So I was trying not to decapitate the cameraman while throwing my shoe down. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Hello. And we're in person. We are in person, which always throws me for a loop. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. Like, oh my goodness, I'm nervous because Jill can see all the weird things that I do when we record. Well, and it's just like, I got to figure out the recording setup. That's well, that's a whole, a other, whole yeah. other ball of wax, but it's fun to be in person today. I know. It is fun to catch up, and we have a good show for you today. We are on part two of our interview with Laura Wilkinson, and I got to say, when I edited it yesterday... Did you get teary-eyed? <laughs> I got teary-eyed again, and then I said something on Twitter that I got teary-eyed, and then in the tape it says I got teary-eyed. <laughs> so, so let's just set this the stage okay we both got teary-eyed and we're yes. gonna get teary-eyed again when we listen back to it and yes. now everyone can share with that that's right we talked with laura at the end of january when she was still in a neck brace recovering from spinal fusion surgery and one of the things we talked about was her olympic experiences winning the gold at sydney 2000 and then competing again at athens 2004 and beijing 2008 so take a listen Talk to us a little bit about getting into the sport. You started with gymnastics, went through a growth spurt, and then went into diving. So what, what drew you to diving in the first place? Uh, well, I love gymnastics. I wanted to be Mary Lou Retton. You know, everybody saw that perfect 10 vault that she had and fell in love with her and the sport. And, and that was me. I was in like second grade when I saw that. And that's when I started gymnastics. And just, I loved it, you know, but kind of about 13, um, I just realized I wasn't going to be Mary Lou Retton. You know, I wasn't that skill level at that age. And you kind of know at that point in gymnastics, because it's, you know, a younger person's sport. And um, I loved it. I could have probably hung on and done like college gymnastics. But for me, I just really wanted to go to the Olympics. Like it had always been a dream to go and win the Olympics. Like I just wanted that. And so I kind of, I don't know, got it in the back of my head that, well, if I can't do that in gymnastics, I got to find something that I can get to the Olympics and win it. <laughs> so yeah. 
I kept tumbling for a while, like one day a week, because I just loved gymnastics, even though I just didn't want to do it anymore. But I started doing softball and tennis and track, and I, I just did a bunch of different things and was good at them, but I, I just missed the acrobatics. And so it wasn't till the end of my freshman year of high school that I think my mom ran into like an ex-gymnast mom friend, and her daughter had started diving and said, hey, you should have Laura come up and try this. And so we did. And I mean, we fell in love with it right off the bat. It was gymnastics into the water, like two things I loved. And they had a radio blaring and it was just this way relaxed atmosphere. And, I was, and it was outdoors, just in the sun. I was like, oh, could anything get better than this? And so I was 15, almost 16 when I started. So it was a pretty late start, but the gymnastics background really kind of helped me. You know, I already had the acrobatics and the air awareness. So I, I got, you know, good pretty fast. When did you know that you were Olympic, were, when the Olympics were a possibility? Well, you know, I think I was kind of that kid who always had that dream. Like I said, I just always, always wanted to go to the Olympics. I always wanted to stand on the top of the podium. It was always in the back of my head, even when I started this new sport at a really old age. And so I kind of always wanted that. And I, I think my second year in, I made it to the senior nationals and, um, I, you know, I think I had gotten fourth and then I made a world cup team in the synchro event and we got third there. And so you know, the first couple of years, I just really shot up into the rankings and my, I just started having talks with my coach and he asked me like, what are your goals with this? And, and I told him I want to go to the Olympics. And I felt so stupid saying it out loud because I just, I don't think I'd ever told anybody that except maybe like my little friends when I was like eight, you know, but I just, I felt really dumb saying it, but he, he just looked at me and said, okay, then that's what we'll do. And he just helped me like set goals toward that and like told me how we were going to do it. And that's what our intentions were. And everything we did was based on getting to that, the top of the podium at the Olympic games. Then, um, going into Sydney, not well in the lead up to broke your toes. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, we were going to meet in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and we were kind of, I mean, doing a typical like training warm up where you do flips, somersaults onto mats, um, you know, like backflips, front flips. And uh, I was doing this one inward somersault and I came out a little bit too early and I hit both of the balls of my feet on the wooden block that we were jumping off of. And I'd, I'd done this before at our home, but it was a softer um, thing we were taking off of, a softer box, I guess, because it was covered with carpet. This one was just solid wood. And so it was really frustrating. We put ice on it. Uh, at the end of practice, my coach carried me to the emergency room and it was really weird because I, I felt I, I couldn't, every time I put my foot on the floor, it felt like there was a bubble under my foot. Like I kept thinking there was a bubble in the tile or something. It was very strange, but the doctor in there in the emergency room told me it would hurt more and be more swollen if it was broken. So he didn't even x-ray it. He gave me a pair of crutches. I'm in Fort Lauderdale by myself with my team. And so I just hoping it wasn't a big deal, just kind of took the crutches, you know, and I was in excruciating pain the entire rest of the time I was there for like four or five more, I don't know, almost a, a week there. And uh, we finally got home and we went to our doctor here and she came into my room almost in tears, just saying, if I had seen this when it happened, I probably could have reset it, but now it's too late. I had broken, like, you know, the, the bones in the, in your hand, like they're kind of like fingers on your, on your feet, right? Your metatarsals and um, the middle three, I broke all the like knuckles essentially off. And the middle one had slid between two others and lodged itself underneath. And within just a week had calcified to those bones calling what they called a bone bridge. So it was like standing on a rock and it was all mangled. Um, so it was pretty messed up. So she said, I'm going to have to rebreak this, going to have to repin it all together. And there's no way you can go to Olympic trials because Olympic trials were just three months away. And she said, the only thing that we could do is we could cast it the way it is 
and just hope that it heals well enough to walk on, maybe jump off of. I mean, okay, that was our only option was to hope it heals okay. You know, maybe I can walk on it. It was, uh, it was rough, man. That first week I had such a mix of emotions, you know, when you're, you're angry, you're sad, you're depressed, you're like all the things, you know what I mean? There was almost a sense of relief too. Like, cause at that point I was like definitely the number one in America, like trying to make the team and go to the games. There was almost a sense of relief. Well, like, well, if I don't do it, like nobody's going to think anything of it now because, you know, I just broke my foot. It was kind of like an out essentially. And those things all just go through your head. And I just remember kind of thinking like, this has been my dream since I was a little kid. This is this dream that God gave me. And this is what I need to do. I don't know how to do it, but I have to at least try. Like, I can't look back in five years going, I wonder if I could have done it. You know, the what ifs, like I couldn't live with that. I'd rather go and fail and just know and then, then live with that question. And I remember my coach coming over to my house at like, I don't know, 6am or something banging on the door. And I opened the door, I'm like hobbling on my crutches. And he's like, if we're going to do this, you know, you need to look forward and you can't, you can't worry about what happened. We can only focus on what's ahead. And I just remember looking at him going, okay, because I had just made up my mind. And he was like, all right. You know, he was kind of ready to give me this whole like talk and, you know, talk me into it. And I was just like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and so he's as crazy as I am. And he kind of came up with this. He's really good at thinking outside of the box. I'm not. I'm such a give me my directions and I can do them. But he is so good at thinking outside the box and getting creative. And we did video studies. I put all the dives together I was planning on competing and I put them together in the order I was going to compete them. And I watched them over and over again, like listening to my favorite, you know, inspirational songs while I was watching them. And the time I heard those songs, it was almost like replay in my brain, you know, and we would get to the pool and I couldn't get in the water. Obviously I had this big purple cast on. So he would hold my crutches and I would hop on my one good foot all the way up the ladders, all the way to 10 meter and kind of shimmy my way out to the end. And I would go through all the actions of my dives. They call it like modeling now. I called it pretend diving back then. But I would just go through all the actions of my dives, you know, take off everything, whatever way I had to face, all the way through to the entry in the water. And he would coach me from the side of the pool. And it was so weird because he'd be like, oh, I think that one might have been a little short. And I was like, whoa, that felt like it was short to me. It was so strange. Um, But I did that every day. If there were people in practice, I had to wait my turn in line, just like if I was in workout. Um, it was, it was pretty wild. It was really cool, you know, but obviously after you're doing that for like 10 weeks, it gets a little old and you start to wonder how is pretending to dive going to get me to the Olympics, let alone to the top of the podium. But swimmers in the pool next to us were making fun of me. And, uh, it was, it was hard. You know, I started to really question. That's when I started to really doubt and maybe want to give up a little bit, but I had such cool teammates there. I mean, they were all young, you know, they're all like elementary and high school age, like young kids. And they, they just kept going, you can do this. You could, I think they had seen what we were doing for so long that they believed in it too. And it started to get to the point where I would do that pretend entry on the 10 meter and they'd be on the other side of the pool going, that was amazing. I didn't see a drop of water. I'd give it a 10, you know, and they got all excited and they, they got me back into it. And I, I think those kids really kept me going through that time. And and my coach. And I, I mean, so I was in, I was in three different casts for 10 weeks. When I got out of it, we only had two or three weeks left before the Olympic trials. And, uh, we got back in, got all my dives off and ended up winning the Olympic trials by like 40 points. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Do you think having the injury may have helped a little bit in that it took the pressure off? You had that to focus on rather than the bigger issue of I'm trying to make the Olympic team. Oh, I'm sure that was a big part of it. Cause I, I think, I had been so hyper-focused. Like I had left my college scholarship to come home and train full-time, like all those things. And I was so hyper-focused on making this dream happen that, you know, it's kind of like when you stare at something on the wall, you know what you're looking at, but when you stare long enough, it gets really fuzzy and you can't really see it clearly anymore. 
And I think when I broke my foot, you know, it was like, I just shook my head and I could suddenly see it again clearly. And I think it helped me refocus. Do you know what I mean? And honestly, where I was before that happened, I, I probably would have made the Olympic team, but I don't think I would have won the Olympics. I think that took us to a whole other level. And I learned how to become very mentally strong. And I learned a lot about myself and my emotions and how to, how to walk through some really challenging things that by the time I got to the Olympics, I, I was confident and I knew exactly what to do. So, and in the Olympics, um, so at Sydney, it, it started out, oh, the, the competition started out okay. So you were fifth after the prelims, then in the semifinals, you were eighth. And then in the middle of the final round, everything just snapped into place, it seemed like. Talk us through how it was when you like traveling there and the whole the whole Sydney experience. Like you had to go through processing and mm-hmm. you know, it it's a different it's a whole different level. Oh yeah, for them. sure. The Olympics is its own little thing. Yeah. And that was my first games too. So it was all like my, I mean, my eyes must've been as big as my head, you know, it was just so exciting. Processing is the coolest. Cause you go in and they give you this clipboard and you walk through and you just get all this outfitting and all these bags and all this swag. And it was just, that was really cool. You get like a whole shopping cart full of stuff. And so that's like really exciting. And it starts to kind of feel a little bit more real at that point. And, um, when we got there, it was just cool. Cause where we were in the village, we could actually see the Olympic stadium and the torch. Like once the torch was lit, we could see it like all the time, Olympic rings everywhere. And I just ate it up because I'd been such an Olympics junkie, you know, growing up. I just, I absolutely loved it. Loved my favorite part is probably going to like the food area because all the athletes from all the countries live in this village together and you all have to eat at the same place. And so we would just sit there for hours sometimes if we were bored and just watch people, just people watching the athlete village. Cause you'd have these seven foot six water polo players next to these four foot eight gymnasts next to these like sumo wrestler, the big wrestler guys, like, you know, all these different athletes of all different body types, all different countries, all the top in their sport, in their country. Like everybody was so different. It was just really cool for me. I, that was probably my, that's always my favorite part of it. You know, and just being in that environment in, in the Olympic pool, um, as it's ready, like it's just, there's a different vibe, you know, like, I, cause everybody knows what they're there for. There's a lot of media where we, you know, in our sports a little smaller, we don't always have a lot of media like that. So it's, it definitely, there's a different feel in the air, you know, mm-hmm. did you go to opening ceremonies? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're really lucky. We don't compete usually until like the second week of the games. And so, um, I know some people that compete the first couple of days can't go cause it's just a lot of standing and walking, but I've been able to go to all three of mine and, and I loved it. It's so cool to, to march out with the team and like you kind of, you're waiting in this, this building usually next to or near um, the stadium for a while until it's your time. So we don't really see much of the beginning of the opening ceremony. And then as you're, you're marching out with the entire team USA, like 600 other people, donning the same outfits and every single time somebody starts chanting USA, USA, USA in the tunnel as we're marching out. And we almost get to this point where we're like running into the tunnel. It is just the coolest experience. And then you walk into this huge stadium of like a hundred thousand people just screaming for your country. And you're, you just realize you're part of something so much bigger than just you and your dream. You know, it's this really, really awesome experience. And you guys had an, an amazing flame lighting too. Oh, in Sydney? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, When she was in the water. Yeah, that was Mm -hmm. so cool. She stood in the water and held it and it like it came up out of the water, like lighting it. It was it was just epic. Yes. (laughs) Competition wise, how did you feel with the your starting out? And I know you had like a little shoe that you'd walk up the the (laughs) stairs with and then take it off to 
to actually dive. So talk to us about the the actual competition. Yeah. So my foot was still broken because it, you know, it, we casted it the way it was. So when it healed, that bone was still lodged underneath. And, and this whole time I actually had a stress fracture in my left foot too, because I had hit both my feet. Just the right one got it a lot worse. Um, so we, I couldn't, my, my biggest struggle was walking around the pool deck and walking up the ladder because you have to walk on the ball of your foot. And that's what I completely broke. And so we started with a kayak shoe because it was pretty cushiony, but it was also really heavy um, just because it's like solid rubber on the bottom. And so um, I ended up getting a tennis shoe that we used that was really light. And that was much easier to throw down. But I, I made a couple of a cameraman, uh, cameramen very angry because I was throwing it over and they were trying to like dodge my shoe and then they would tell me where to throw it. So I'd throw it there, but then they'd move there. And I'm like, oh no. So I was trying not to decapitate the cameraman while throwing my shoe down, but it really helped me get up to the platform. So that was helpful. And um, uh, getting into the competition, uh, the, the prelim rounds was, it was good. It was solid. I was like fifth place. I, I think I've missed one dive um, a little bit, but you know, just prelim rounds, you just kind of want to make it through. And the semifinal rounds, then we used to do what they called voluntary dives. And we, we don't do them in the individual competition anymore. They're, they're your basic kind of the beautiful dives, like, you know, the, the front dive pie, just really simple things. This is kind of like the grace side of it. And that was added to our prelim score. And then they would cut to the top 12 and then only your semifinal scores carried forward to the finals, and they added it to your finals. Now we start from zero. So after the the semifinal rounds, I really didn't have the best set of the voluntary dives, and so that kind of dropped me down a little bit. I, I remained in fifth place overall, so I was seated fifth going into the finals. But when they took away those prelim scores and just left my semifinal scores, I was actually in eighth place and about 30 points off of the leader. And so that was a little... It was a little disheartening going into finals being 30 points back. And everybody had about the same degree of difficulty in all their dives. Like most of the top girls, we all had kind of the same stuff. And so I had been training for a month with China, who has dominated our sport for a very long time. And I had seen them day in and day out hitting all their dives. I mean, they were like machines in practice. It was it was crazy. And so knowing I'm going into this 30 points back, diving against machines, doing the same dives, like it was really kind of intimidating but I remember like after they, they marched us in and like we waved to the crowd and then we got went back to kind of get ready right before we started. I remembered this quote that I had really, really loved growing up. I'm such a quote person. And it was, uh, you don't have to have the lead if you have the heart to come from behind. And I remember I kept telling myself like everything that you've been through, like you have the heart, you know how to dig deep. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it because that is what you have. That is your strength right now. Like you have to use it. And so I knew I had to dive from somewhere much deeper. You know what I mean? And the first couple dives were, were good. They were solid. I think I got like eight and a half, like that's, which is great out of 10, you know, if you, anything over an eight is usually a very good dive, but those top couple girls were getting nines. And so not only was I not catching up from that 30 point deficit, I was actually falling a little bit more behind, but I couldn't see the scores. I could just hear some of them, but from where I was sitting, I couldn't see it. So, you know, I just kept going back every time I put my headphones on, listen to some of those songs, let those dives play on replay in my head before the third round of five, before my third round, my, my batteries and my headphones died. Like this is old school where we had disc men, you know, you can't just like charge your stuff in the wall or whatever, like we had disc men. So I'm, I'm an over-preparer and usually I bring extra batteries and I'm always prepared for that stuff. And I totally didn't. And here I am like kicking myself, like, I can't believe I didn't bring extra batteries. And I started to panic, like, just like you totally should in that situation, because I'm in the Olympic finals in the middle of the most important dive. And like, here I am, and I, I don't have music. And I kind of started to freak out because this was my best dive. And I knew that if anything was going to happen, it was going to be on this dive. 
but then I just started thinking about how when I had gotten tins on this dive at the Olympic trials, when I got tins on this dive at the nationals, like a couple weeks before, I didn't have my headphones on on the 10 meter. You know, I didn't have music on when I was actually doing the dive. Like I know how to do this dive and reminding myself of those things. I think it ended up making me a lot more confident walking into it than maybe I would have been in just a normal situation. And so I remember walking out there and I put my arms up to do that dive. And I was just like, I know what's going to happen. Like, I just knew I was going to nail it. And I did. And I got like nines and nine and a half, mostly nine and a halves, I think, which was great. I was so excited. But at that point, I went back over to sit down and I couldn't put my headphones on because I had no batteries. And so now I'm hearing all the scores that I, I couldn't hear before because I kept putting my headphones on. And I, I heard these really low scores, like threes. I was like, whoa, what just happened, you know? And I I kind of listened to see who the next diver was because I thought maybe they started over the round because the, the four girls that were ahead of me were hitting everything. And so I thought, well, maybe the 12th place person went <clears throat> she missed a dive. And so I was listening for the next person and it was the third place person. So I was like, whoa, that's so strange. One of the Canadians missed a dive, like they never missed a dive. And so, you know, I was like, whatever, I have to think about my next dive. And then I heard low scores again. I was like, wow, this is really wild whatever, I got to think about my dive. And then the two Chinese girls also missed their dives. Like everybody missed very big, which was so unusual for them because they were all very, very good and consistent. And so I knew I had done really well and I knew they missed. I had no idea that I was at the top of the leaderboard at that point, but like a point. I just knew I had caught up. I knew I, I was within striking distance now with two dives left. So that's all I knew because I couldn't see it. But the next dive was the one I was really, really nervous for because it was the same action I broke my foot on. It was the one where you face backwards and you go toward the platform. So that's scary, right? Because you're throwing at the platform and that's what I broke my foot on. So I'm scared I'm going to hit it again. But also you have to stand on the ball of your feet and put all your weight and push down on the ball of your feet to throw for that. And that's where it's all messed up and I've got a bone protruding underneath and it was very painful. So this is the dive I struggled with. It's the one I missed in prelims. It's, it's the one I had struggled with since I broke my foot. And so I'm now very nervous because I know I'm within striking distance and I've got this dive up and I have no headphones, you know, so I go over to my coach and I'm like, what do I do? Like, what, do, what he's surely he's going to tell me something magical and it's going to be fine. And he looks at me and he says, do it for Hillary. And he walks away. And I'm just like, what? You know, my jaw must have hit the floor and he just walks off. And so I kind of started wandering up the platform. Hillary was a really good friend and teammate of mine who had died in a car accident three years before. And I'm sitting there going, what is he trying to make me cry in the middle of the Olympic finals when I've got a chance at a medal? Like, what is he doing? But then as I'm walking up the platform, you know, I realized how much I trusted Kenny. And I knew he told me that for a reason. He was pushing buttons for a reason. So I, I needed to go there. And so I just started thinking about Hillary. And I remembered one of the conversations we had had. She was actually a really good gymnast. She was the first alternate on the 1992 Olympic gymnastics team right before she started diving. So after that, she had started diving about a year later, right when I started. And, and so we were close friends. Our whole little team was really close. And I remember we had gone to dinner one time and I was asking her all about the Olympics and Olympic trials because that's what I wanted to do. And she was the only person I had known that had gotten that close before. And I remember her saying, you know, I don't really know if I want to go for that again. I don't know if I could handle getting so close and not making it. She goes, but if anybody on our team is going to do it, Laura, you are. And so as I'm walking up the ladder in the middle of the Sydney Olympics, I, I'm thinking about her in that conversation. And I realized that like, this wasn't just my dream. That was a dream she had. It was a dream. All those little kids that were cheering for me when I was in a cast up on the 10 meter, pretending to plot, pretending to dive. It was their dream too. And I might be the only one who gets a chance to be here because not very many people get to go. And some people might think of that as like a lot of pressure, but for me, 
it was like the power, you know what I mean? It was like all the strength and power that I needed to do this. And and when I got to the end, I realized that, you know, I don't need to be scared. It doesn't matter if this hurts. Like this is not just for me. It's so much more important. It's so much bigger than me. And so I, I threw with everything I had at the platform, put all my weight into it and just didn't even feel the pain. And I remember hitting the water underneath going, whoa, I, I think that was good. Like, I think that was really good. And I came up and people were going crazy. My coach was flipping out, jumping on the side. And I got like nines, nine and a halves again. And I just couldn't believe it. It was just the coolest thing, but everything kind of changed at that point. You know, I went back I still didn't have my headphones, I have one dive left. And, and I know it's going to be a good dive, just how good, but, but everything kind of changed at that point. Cause it wasn't just about me and my, my little kid dream of going to the Olympics and winning the Olympics anymore. Like now it was about all the people who ever had this dream and I'm the the one who's doing it for them, you know, and it just, it made it so much more special at that point that it almost didn't even matter what happened. You know, it just became so much more special. And I remember before my last dive, you know, I wasn't that nervous. Cause like I said, I, I knew it was a good dive. Just how good was I going to hit it? Would it be enough? Um, and I remember I have this like panoramic picture in my mind of what the pool looked like, where my coach was sitting where my teammates were, where my family was. And I just remember thinking, wow, I am living out my dream right now, whether I end up first or fifth, like I'm in that moment and I'm getting to live out my dream. Like how many people get to do this? And it was just, that's one of my favorite memories from the whole Olympic games, you know? And after I went, it was, it was a good dive. It wasn't great. It wasn't nine and a halves, but it was, it was solid. It was like eight, eight and a half, I think. And we had to wait for the next four girls to go to see if anybody would catch me. And I still couldn't see the scoreboard from where I was standing because we, with all the TV stuff, we have to stand in a certain place. And, but I could see my coach and he could see the scoreboard. And after each girl went, he would turn and look at me and go, yes, and make these like fist pumps, you know. And after the last girl went, before her scores were even up, because she went like way past vertical, he came running over and picked me up and turning me around, just kept saying, we did it. We did it. Like I had no, I, I thought, oh, we got a medal. Great. You know, but he just kept saying, we did it. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, like we actually won. You know, it was it was such a cool moment that he got to to tell me that it was it was obviously very special. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I you cry over there. Oh no. All the feel. <laughs> exactly. So then, yeah, what was it like to be on the podium? Oh, you know, it's it's so surreal. It's I mean, it's almost it's just like what you, I always dreamed what it would be like. And would I sing the anthem? Would I not? Like what would it feel like? And by the time the anthem was going, like I was so still trying to figure out where my family had moved because everybody had shifted, you know, down to where the podium was. Like I was trying to figure out where my family was. Then I didn't even know where in the song they were. So I just kind of stood there and soaked it in. And I couldn't believe I'm watching the American flag go up and I'm hearing our anthem. And it, then it was just over. It's so fast. You know, I just wish it could have lasted just a little bit longer, but it's amazing how this, your entire life builds up and builds up to this dream. And then it happens and it's over just with a snap of a finger. You know, it's just like that. It's, it's over. And then what do you do now? You know, what happens immediately after you're off the podium and they sort of walk you out? Well, for us um, in our sport, they kind of walk you around deck and you're kind of showing your medals to like the media and stuff for pictures. And you're kind of you get to see like your teammates and stuff kind of like paraded all around. And then um, we go in and do like a press conference right after. And then you get drug tested and then you're still soaking wet and in your swimsuit. And so hopefully you get to shower. And we were kind of rushed off. And, and I remember at some point it was really late. We ended up back at the village and some of my teammates were hanging out with me in the food area because that's the place to go. And it's like. I don't know, probably one or two in the morning or something by that point. And there's still a bunch of people in there and we're just sitting there like we're all having a coffee and we're just like hanging out in like almost silence. And then one of my friends, David goes, 
you know, you get Olympic gold medalists on your, on your Olympic ring. And we were like, what, that's what you're thinking of right now. See, like USOC gives you, um, this Olympic ring. It's kind of like a class ring for like every Olympics you make. And you can check this box that says, if you win the Olympic gold medal, like you, it says Olympic gold medalist on your ring. And so we're all like, yeah, we're going to check the box. And we did it together. And that's what he was thinking of in that moment is you're going to have Olympic gold medalist on your ring. (laughs) And it was just, we all just laughed and remember it just being so surreal. You know, it was, yeah, it just, it was like a dream. The whole thing was just like a dream. Oh, man. Then Athens, how was it to come to, to maintain that competitiveness? Well, you maintained it for a long time and, and now you've come back, but what is it like to do a whole Olympic cycle or two and maintain that physical fitness in a smaller sport? Well, that was, it was a different road because I actually, I had surgery after the Olympics to fi- finally fix my foot. And then I went back to finish my degree from school because I had left school um, to come home and train. And so, and then I got married <laughs> in the process. So I kind of really started back, I would say in 2002, I dove a little bit in 2001, but it was kind of just for like a couple months. So in 2002, I'm trying to like relearn all my dives and get back into shape and get back out there. And by that time, all those girls that were in Sydney have now learned, like added a flip to every dive, you know, and, and the degree of difficulty just skyrocketed. And so I was playing catch up that whole time. And so I did some good stuff and some crazy stuff. I actually went to the world cup in 2004. It was the test event in the Olympic pool in Athens. And I won that event. And so I was feeling really good going into the Olympic games, um, pretty confident in great shape, still a little inconsistent on some things, but, um, but good, good. But it was a totally different road going in being the defending gold medalist. You know, it's a totally different feel than walking in being an underdog, being your first games, um, totally different feeling. And I did pretty well. But the one thing I know I did on on a certain dive on my back three and a half, I know I should have gone all out for it. And I I played it safe. And it was just not something I normally do. But I think it was that whole that was the wrong mindset. You know, I was trying to defend something and, and in reality you can't defend it cause you haven't, it's, it's a whole new Olympic games. You have to go in like fighting for it. Like I'm not defending anything. And so I think my mindset was just not quite right. And so I missed that dive just a little bit and it kept me 11 points off the podium, which is pretty close. And so was, that was a little frustrating cause I didn't dive bad, but like I could have been up there in the hunt again. And so that was a little frustrating, but some of my Australian friends did really well and were on the podium. So that was also exciting to see that. But, but after that, I, you know, I, I was not sure if I was going to keep going or not. And, and eventually, um, ended up staying and learning a bunch of more difficult dives. And so I was at that point raising the bar that had been raised on me after my first Olympic games. And so going into Beijing was pretty cool. Cause I, I was doing a, a whole new group of dives that a lot of the men were doing, but not really many of the women at all were doing. So that was, it was just very different at that point. Mm-hmm. But what keeps you was that what was keeping you motivated? Because you had won the gold medal. You had gotten married. You were kind of, I hate to say getting older, but for the sport, of course, now 10 years later, you're going back. (laughs) But, you know, to go through three Olympic cycles is a long career. Mm -hmm. And what made you want to keep, keep going back? I think it's just the, I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, and I, a lot of people told me you should quit while you're on top. You should quit while you're on top. And then I won worlds again in 2005. And, um, you know, that's at that point I was like going into that, but I thought maybe this would be my last meet. Maybe I'll retire, but I just, I still wanted to learn more dives. And my coach just kept saying, you're not ready to be done. Like when people are wanting to learn more dives, that's a sign that you want to keep going. Like if you were done, you wouldn't care about that. But I, I really thought that I was capable of more. And so I think my drive, it wasn't, yes, I wanted to win another gold medal, but it wasn't so much that as I wanted to see what I was capable of. I wanted to see 
how hard of dives could I do and do them well? You know, and that, that was really my pursuit. Like I love, there's another quote that I love and it's the reward of a thing well done is to have done it. And for me, I love training and I love, I love practicing as much as I love the competitions. They're just different. And to do a perfect dive and practice feels so good to my soul. Like it just feels so right, you know, and fulfilling. And I think that's what drives me is I knew I was capable of more and I wanted to find out what that was. What is that limit? You know? But eventually you did say, okay, we're going to step back from diving and raise family and, you know, have a different kind of life. But what made you decide in 2017 to go for it again? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't retire in 2008 because I didn't want to dive anymore. I retired because I was 30 and everybody told me I was old and I was double the age of my competitors. And I wanted, I wanted to be a mom. And I mean, you can't, it's really hard to get pregnant and get into your mm -hmm. tuck position, you know, when you're, you've got this huge <laughs> belly. Um, and it's just dangerous, you know? So obviously I needed to step back and I, it just seemed like a good time. And it, it was really unfortunate because I did not dive well in Beijing. My arm was a little hurt and I just didn't, didn't do what I was capable of what I had done, like at the trials leading up to it. Um, so that was kind of frustrating to end that way, but I was ready for the next chapter of my life at the same time. And so it was time to step back. And I don't think I ever totally let it go. I mean, I, I dabbled, you know, we had trouble getting pregnant for a while. So my coach was like, why don't you just come play in the pool for a while and just get your mind off of it? You know, maybe if you just have fun for a little bit, that'll help. And so I played on springboard a little bit and then, um, I had my first daughter and I actually got back in on springboard and played a little bit again. And but I just, at that point I was like, okay, I just want to be a mom right now. It's springboard's not in my, my cards. And when we actually, when I was pregnant with my son, who's my third child, cause we have one adopted in the middle there. I, I kind of kept thinking in the back of my mind, cause I had seen the London Olympics and I was a little frustrated watching the London Olympics because it was a totally different level of women's platform than was in 2008, 2008 girls had raised the bar. They were doing extremely hard dives and they were doing them all for nines. Like it was amazing. And in 2012, it was not the same level um, at all. Like they had downgraded degree of difficulty. People were missing stuff and still getting on the podium. Like it was just a totally different level. And it was really frustrating watching that thinking, mm. I just should have gone four more years, you know? And, and so in the back of my head, I think it was kind of like, man, I wonder if I could still do that. But I was being a mom, you know, we had two kids at that point. I had another one on the way. And when I was pregnant with my son, I, I kept thinking, man, if I, when I have him, when I, if I get back in shape, like I'm just going to get in the pool and see what I can do. And the time just never seemed right. Cause we had a lot of personal stuff going on jobs and things like that. But in 2015, I did start to get back into shape. And I, I remember at the end of that year, I was, we went to just visit Kenny at the pool cause we hadn't seen him in a while. And I wanted to show my kids the pool and meet coach Kenny or say hi to him. And, um, so we went by and he's like, well, is there ever time where like the kids are in school and you could come play, just come play, you know? And I was like, well, there's one day a week when they're all in there, you know, for like a couple hours. So I may do that, but I was so embarrassed to get in a swimsuit because it had been so long. And, you know, the kids that were training for the Olympics at that point were like the kids, like the little kids when I retired in 2008, when I was at the prime. So I didn't want to be this old fat lady now getting in into a swimsuit to die with these people who remember me as this like great champion, you know? So it was, it was really hard to kind of get over myself, but I wanted to get in so bad that I, I finally just sucked it up and it's like, just don't look in the mirror, just put the suit on and get in there, <laughs> you know? And, and I got in, and that first entry into the water, it just, it just felt like home again, you know? And so I kept coming every week for just an hour and just playing in the water and things just kind of started to come back pretty quickly. And I started flipping in the gym and, and, and stuff just came back faster than, than I thought it would and, and better than I thought it would. And I remember asking Kenny before the Rio games, like, would I, would I be crazy to, to do this again? And he said, springboard or platform? I said, platform, because no. 
And so I didn't say anything again until he came back because he had a diver go to the Olympics. And I didn't want to like interfere with that at all. And so that fall, I, I started back training again just to see what I could do. And then um, January of 2017, I started to get my 10 meter list back off. And um, I ended up competing that summer at nationals and getting second. And I was so, so nervous. Like I put so much pressure on myself because I didn't know what to expect. It had been you know, nine years and, um, you know, I'm old. So I did, you know, all these things were going through my head and I was not in the right headspace, but I got second at nationals and it was really cool. And I was excited to kind of see where this takes us. And the next year was fraught with a lot of adoption issues. We were bringing home our fourth child from Ethiopia and it was, was a five year long process. And that year was just the worst in trying to get her home. We had made two trips to Ethiopia and, um, just all these things had happened and, um, I was not in the right headspace. And then we brought her home and, you know, she only wanted mommy. She wouldn't go to anyone else for a while. And we, so there was a long time where I couldn't go back and train. And so finally, when she got adjusted and was liking daddy and everyone else, I started to, to kind of get back into training. And I was super excited to compete at uh, a meet in December that could have qualified me to some grand prix and stuff. And so I was getting back up on 10 meter this past fall but then my arm kept collapsing and that's when we kind of realized something was not right and, and found out about my neck. And then right day after Christmas, I had this cervical fusion. And so now we're kind of walking that out. And, and the good news is I was really scared going into that, that I was going to have to make a choice, have the surgery to dive or don't have the surgery and retire and just be mom. And I just didn't know if I could make that choice. You know, that that's just a really, that's kind of a loaded gun, you know, and I didn't want to have to make it. And by the grace of God, I didn't have to, because all the doctors said, you have to have the surgery just to be normal. Cause we're afraid if you slip and fall, like you can become a paraplegic, like it was that bad. So it's like, okay, well, at least this is taken out of my hands and I have to have it done. And so, you know, now I'm kind of walking out this road to recovery, hopefully getting this neck brace off, um, in another week. And then, um, another six weeks, hopefully back in the water. Cause they, they think, you know, I should be not as good as new, but like maybe better than I've been in a good decade. Uh, because I realizing that all these arm issues that I've had for a very long time are probably have probably stemmed from my neck and I didn't know it. So, I'm kind of excited to see, you know, if my arm holds up different and if things are better and wow, are my injuries going to be like they've been in the last two years? Or are they going to be like they used to be, um, you know, back in the early 2000s? So it'll, it'll, it's kind of an exciting road for me and I'm, I'm excited to walk it out and, uh, and see where it goes. How has the reception been in the diving community to you coming back? You know, I expected a lot of flack. I don't know why. I think I just expected people to be... I don't know, weird about it or something because I'm old and I'm a mom and people probably think I have no business being in the pool, but I really have had like none of that. And it's, it's just, everybody has been so gracious and so kind to me and, and so welcoming and warm. And, and I, I honestly did not expect that. And so it was really, it was awesome. And it was very humbling and I'm just super thankful. And if nothing else comes of this, I am just absolutely loving being back in the water and doing the dives again. Like I said, I just love to do it. What do the kids think? Now, how old are, are your four? Because you've got four now. So yes. what's the age range? Yeah, we have seven, seven, five, and three. So they're all kind of right in there together. Um, and my oldest actually started diving about a year and a half ago. And so um, she just loves that sometimes we get to work out together. Usually on Wednesdays, we get to be in the practice together. And so that's a lot of fun for her. Um, but they have no, I mean, they know I have gold medals and they, they keep asking if I'm famous, mommy, are you famous? People keep, everybody knows who you are. Are you famous? <laughs> so that's been kind of a funny road to navigate, but, um, but they really, I mean, they, it's funny because my daughter sees me do these crazy dives off 10 meter, doesn't think anything of it. But then when I do her simple dives with her, she thinks that's amazing. So it's, it's just cool. Like what they kind of get and what they don't. And I, I just love the innocence of it. And, and it does keep me grounded because a lot of times, you know, as an athlete, 
you you kind of start to get your identity and your your purpose mixed up with your performance and your results. And I love that my kids could care less if I win or I lose. They're just like, come home and play with me. You know, like that's all they care about. And it keeps me so grounded. And I think my head in the right place. Are they at the age where they're starting to complain in terms of, oh, your training is taking away mommy time? Not yet. I think my husband and I have kind of, uh, we've had to sacrifice a lot to try to do this. We've sold our house and we're, we're both working several part-time things out of the house to try and make it work. Cause one of my concessions was if we do this, I don't want to put my kids in daycare so that I can do this dream because that's not worth it to me. I want, I want to do this with my family, um, not without them. And so we're actually home a lot with them, even like I'll, I'll train in the mornings and then I, I'm usually the ones picking them up from school, doing all their afternoon activities. So for them, I'm still with them quite a bit. Um, you know, there's an occasional thing I have to do, but just like any other parent would. So fortunately that hasn't been the case so far. Do you sleep? No. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> For, fortunately they're getting a little older. So most of the time we can actually get sleep now versus, you know, just two years ago, but, um, you know, they're kids. So somebody's always having a nightmare or, you know, not feeling well, or there's usually something going on, but my, my husband is amazing in tag teams with me a lot. And, and since I've been in this neck brace, he's had to do a lot of the heavy lifting. So that's actually been really good. Besides needing the surgery, how does, can you tell a difference in how the sport affects your body now versus back then? Well, it's funny. That's a great question. People ask me that all the time because they're like, I'm your age and I can barely get out of bed. But I think part of it is, yeah, it, it hurt at the beginning. It was really uncomfortable, but just like anything, the more you do it, the more your body gets used to it. And, you know, I would worry, oh my gosh, I've got this pain or I've got this ache. And I'm like, wait, I had that when I was 17. I, I felt that when I was 20. Like, it's just part of doing sport. Like you're going to have injuries. You're going to tweak stuff. Like it's just knowing the difference between this is just a tweak versus this is something major or, you know, my body is not in the shape to do this. I shouldn't do this. So I think it's kind of learned like knowing your body well enough to know the difference and, and where I'm at now that I've kind of gone through those growing pains. It's just like any other athlete. And then with the, the mental training course that you've developed, do you think that has helped you in your comeback as well? Talk and talk to us about this course. Uh, so I'm really excited about this course. I've been wondering for a while now, like, what could I give back? What, how could I serve people? How could I serve other athletes? Because athletes are my passion, because that's always what I've done. That's always who I've been. And and I wanted to do something. And last fall, like the be like beginning of last fall, I kind of came up with this idea to create an online course for mental training for competitive athletes. And I, it was kind of hard last fall because I, you know, just life was happening and I couldn't get through it. But now that I've actually been kind of sidelined, I've had time to just dive into this course and I'm almost finished with it. And I love it because God has just been reminding me through this, all of these things that I used to do and these techniques that I knew and, and what I did, like I've had to think about all these different meets and it's bringing me back and, and reteaching me how to like do this and how to look forward and how to walk through these difficult times. And so I love that I'm, I'm going through this course and it's helping me as much as hopefully it will help these athletes that take the course and, um, and, and hopefully they'll know that I'm walking through this with them. And so they're not alone and I know exactly where they are. Like I've been through this so many times that this time it's not scary for me. I, I've faced this step before and now I know how to walk through it with a great perspective and with, um, you know, a heart of joy. And so I'm seeing the right perspective and, and it's, it's just really, really cool. And I'm excited to launch it in March. Um, you know, so if people want to go to laurawilkinson.com, you can sign up for my emails right now. So you'll be the first one to know, um, when all of that, that kind of launches and, and sets out, but I'm, I'm super excited about it. So will it be like, uh, an online, uh, weekly thing or is it a self-study program? 
Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of debating right now whether to like just let it all out there at once or whether to drip it week by week. And I think at least in this first launch, I'm going to do it week by week so I can walk through with the people taking it and make sure that they're getting everything out of it or if they have questions um, so that, you know, the next time we launch it, I can I can tweak it and make the appropriate changes if we need to. So, uh, but it's great. It goes through goal setting, finding your motivation, um, dealing with failure, um, how to prepare and make routines, both uh, in training and competition, facing fear, you know, self-talk, meditation, um, how to deal with your emotions, visualization, like kind of all of those things. And I'm trying to make it, I don't want to throw everything in the kitchen sink at people and overwhelm them, but I want to make it enough to where people are really getting a lot of tools out of it. And so I've tried to really arrange it. So it's this step-by-step process so that athletes can really, they're going to get to know themselves really well through this, but then also they're going to have the tools so that they themselves can recognize what's happening and make the right changes at the right time. I want something like that for me. <laughs> I might take it. No, I, well, I know where you can find I, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I officiate roller derby, so all of that sports psychology oh, cool. stuff is some stuff I love. So, um, yeah, that sounds right up my alley. Awesome. Allison, you got anything else? I have like 500 other things, but yes. it, it, <laughs> I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your podcast. Yes. Oh, thank you. oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes. So in January, we just launched the Hope Sports podcast. And I'm so excited because I wanted to do a podcast for a long time, but I just didn't have the time to like do the whole learning curve because it's a lot that goes into making a podcast. And I just didn't have the time to sit down and do it. But I wanted to talk to athletes. That, that was my thing is I wanted to interview athletes. And I have been involved with this organization called Hope Sports uh, for a few years. And they they build home, they bring athletes down, uh, professional and elite athletes down to Mexico to build homes for the poor. And I've been on a couple builds, loved it. I'm on their advisory board. And they approached me with wanting to do this podcast to show athletes that there's purpose beyond performance, that your identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in your score at the end of the meet or anything, that there's there's more to it. And so they invited me to be the host and I'm interviewing these athletes and it's it's been so incredible. I absolutely love it. I'm inspired every single week. I feel like I feel almost guilty because I'm getting all this really cool like information from these athletes and I'm getting to know these really amazing people and they're inspiring me and it's giving me ideas for my course and things that I'm doing too. And it's it's just been really, really awesome. So if you want to go to hopesports.org slash podcast, you can check out all the episodes there. And I, I tell you, we have everything from NFL champions to water ski jump champions to Olympic Olympic champions. We have all of the things. So it is definitely awesome. Excellent. And I can attest it's it's very interesting. So <laughs> thank I would, you. I would check it out too. One other question that we have is how do people get involved in diving at the grassroots level? Because I, you know, there seems to be a lot more emphasis on swimming and swim clubs, but diving isn't necessarily something you see and, and maybe you don't get it until you're in high school for some people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the way I was too. I didn't even know we had a club 30 minutes from us. So if you go to usadiving.org, um, you can find local clubs there. You can kind of find stuff in your area. And that's a good place to start looking at like a legitimate club where you could train and, and, and learn really good basics there. But um, really local pools, I just I would just start asking around too. If you can't find anything there, I would just start asking around. But um, usadiving.org is the best place to start for that. Excellent. Thank you so much, Laura. You can find out more about Laura at laurawilkinson.com and you can listen to her podcast at hopesports.org slash podcast. You can follow Laura on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. She is Lala underscore the underscore diver. And on Facebook, she is the Laura Wilkinson and we'll have links to everything in the show notes. And she's doing very well. The neck braces off. Yes. 
and she seems to be doing quite well. So right. we're very so, excited yes, for her. Not for that. quite to impact yet. But she can lift things. She can lift her children, which is nice. Yes. And she was upside down in a picture the other day doing uh, arm stands. Which is crazy. Yeah. But super excited for her. I I hope, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how well she does in trying to get back into diving. I know. I'm kind of excited. I'm very excited for her. So if Laura Wilkinson made you inspired to work out, why not do it in Olympic Fever gear? We've got all sorts of items and designs in our tea public store, and they're on sale for up to 30% off now through Sunday, February 24th. Click on the link at olimfever.com to buy something comfortable and support the show. And I'm recording today's episode in an Olympic Fever t-shirt. I know, it's very nice. Moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu! It's a big weekend in terms of world championships for the winter sports. And so there's biathlon world championships. I know there's like skiing and snowboarding world championships. And uh, we saw Emily Cook is in Minsk right now. Yes. And it's beautiful. Yes. It looks lovely. And uh, anything else going on? No. So a lot of people have a lot more results next week. Yes. There's a lot of traveling going on with Team Olympic Fever this week. Right. Exactly. So then we will move on to... Uh, 2024 news and news from the IOC. Paris 2024 has submitted or has decided the sports it wants to include on the program, the new sports it wants to include on the program. Okay, now I have not seen this yet. That's good because, okay, so gamesbids.com said there were as many as 20 sports campaigning to get in, right? Okay. So you had everything that's going to be in Tokyo they wanted to be on. Chess. Oh. Rapid and blitz, so it would be fast, I guess. Squash. Oh, okay. Snooker. I don't even know what that is. It's a form of pool. Billiards. It's in the billiards family. Oh. Uh, Trial E, which is an electric motorcycling format. Oh, my God. Breakdancing. Okay. Bowls, which is, or I'm probably saying that wrong. Maybe it's boules. French lawn bowling. Is it, is it like bocce? I think so. Okay. I think it's in that family. Okay. Well. So they've chosen four. Sport climbing, skateboarding, surfing, and our favorite, breakdancing. Oh, no. Yeah. But they didn't choose snooker. No. Okay, no, no, good. Just, okay, you just were getting... those four. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, no. Well, breakdancing is going to be weird enough. So the sad thing for baseball and softball and karate is they are one and done for Tokyo. Yeah, oh. they're in Tokyo and then they're out again. Oh. So, but what happens now is that the IOC Program Commission is going to discuss this proposal and then they'll present it to the executive board. At so this... They're meeting at the end of March in Lausanne. So. Okay, so how official is this if they released it? I bet it's semi. I bet it's pretty official because it came from the Paris 2024. It's sort of like when there's a royal announcement of an engagement. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen this way. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So break dancing. They've said, yeah, yeah, I know. <sighs> Worries me, but we'll see. We'll we'll withhold judgment because we did not. You watched a little of it at the Youth Olympics. I did. I didn't. I mean, not really. Right. So maybe in maybe by 2024 it'll be a little more organized. I don't know because I, so. I really didn't like the oh we're gonna have video submissions. Right. To get into, you know it just didn't seem like a very organized 
sport on a world level. And I remember you complained about the announcer, so now she's got a few years to learn <laughs> what she's announcing about. What the B-boys and the B-girls are doing. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Don't ever say that again, please. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> it's only going to get worse from here if that happens. Uh, also in big Olympic news, Indonesia wants to bid for 2032. Really? Yes. Wow. Because they hosted the Asian Games this past go-around, and apparently they went pretty well, ex- except for the boxing tournament. <laughs> well, the <laughs> boxing tournament's a separate deal. You know, the boxing tournament doesn't go well no matter where it is. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the host. That has to but do yeah, with they, boxing. they've decided they want in. Good so, for them. Yeah, I know. Well, good for them. And the IOC is probably going, phew, you know, yeah. just because they're probably patting themselves on the back with the new, they're like, the new norm works. Right. So... Okay, so I know very, very little about Indonesia. Mm-hmm. I know it's many, many islands that make yes. up the country. So you could have different islands as the whole... You could. That would be yeah, fun. It could be interesting. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how they'll do it. I should look and see how they structured the Asian Games, because I'm right. pretty sure, like, Jakarta was probably of the course. hub. But uh, it'd be interesting to see what they decided to do. But I think, you know... They want to be more on the global stage. You could have a track and field island and a <laughs> swimming island. And then we could definitely put boxing on its own island and leave it there. <laughs> oh, that would be like Survivor Island if you put all the fighting sports on one island. And only the winners make it off the Sorry. island. I'm <laughs> sure people are, who know the geography are probably just shaking their head going, I cannot believe you're saying these things. <laughs> well, I know it's many, many islands, so I, I want there to be a fighting island and you have right. to fight your way off. Right. <laughs> but karate won't be there, so. No, but you still have. Type. Yeah, there's no, enough there's choices. Plenty of other there's fencing. Yes, there's... Right? So, well, we'll have to see how far they get into the process. It's going to be a long road to 2032, and we need some support to get there. One of the easiest ways that you can support the show is by shopping on Amazon. You can do things like buy our next book club selection, which is called The Second Mark, and it's about the 2002 Salt Lake Olympics figure skating scoring scandal. And uh, you can get that through our book club page at olimfever.com. And any time you need to get something from Amazon, stop by our website first and click on the banner, We'll get a little commission from your purchases, and that really helps us put together more cool Olympic things as we get closer to Tokyo 2020 and maybe Indonesia 2032 or Korea 2032 because they want to host. Well, clearly one of those things I need is an Indonesian history and geography book. Yes. (laughs) That's what I will go and purchase (laughs) so as not to insult anybody further. Thank you so much for your support. And on that note, we will wrap it up for this week. We'll catch you back here next week. We're going to take a look at one of the new sports for Tokyo and potentially Paris 2024. That would be sport climbing. And U.S. star Josh Levin talked with us about how the sport works. So be sure to tune in for that. The things we learned about fingers and toes. It was amazing. I was really excited. So uh, Josh was really great. It's a good interview and uh, be sure to tune in for that. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. 
You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at OlimFever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. It was like a dream. The whole thing was just like a dream.